For me, better use of data is, it's almost the closest thing to magic. Data is behind everything. If you don't know where you are, how can you decide what's the best course of action? Hello and welcome to The Growth Business, a business podcast sponsored by InCloud Solutions, the center of excellence for mid-market ERP software, business by design. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe, and I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by Timo Elliott, who is someone I've been following on social media for a long time. Timo is an innovation evangelist for tech giant SAP, but that doesn't really cover it. He speaks all over the world, now virtually rather than in person, has a passion for analytics and artificial intelligence, and is a talented cartoonist. Raised in the UK, he now lives in France and is well on the way to becoming a French citizen. Timo, welcome. Hello, Lucy. So why did you decide to leave us? Why are you not living in the UK? Well, I wanted to be a good European. I uh, grew up in Poole in Dorset and uh, did all of my studies in the UK, but my mother was Swedish. And in some ways, I was the black sheep of the family. Both my parents spoke three languages. My sister speaks four or five, depending on how you count, uh, whereas I failed my French oral O-level. Pretty much the only exam I failed during my academic career. So after university, I wanted to travel. So I worked in Hong Kong and New Zealand for a while, but I could still only speak English. So I decided the only way forward would be to move to Paris, as one does. <laughs> I, um, so I studied nights while studying at uh, the Sorbonne Language School. And then I was lucky enough to stumble across a small French startup called Business Objects. And I'm still here 29 years later. Business Objects was a pioneer in analytics acquired by SAP around a decade ago now. So I did spend five years or so in between in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is why I don't sound particularly English anymore. Uh, but I've now spent just about half my life in France, no regrets. And I hope that they'll accept me as a citizen. I'll find out in a few months. Fantastic. Well, good luck with that. Um, so now you are very much a person at large. You're an SAP evangelist at large, which sounds like an amazing job. I mean, you kind of touched on it, but how do you go about getting a job like that? And what does it involve? Uh, so first, nothing to do with religion. I actually looked up the origins of the term, and it comes from an ancient Greek phrase, Originally, it was actually the amount of money, evangelum or something like that, that you would give to the messenger that brought you good news, the sort of tip. And then that got transferred to the notion of the person bringing the good news. And then several centuries later, it became associated with a certain type of other religious good news. But I'm an, I'm an original evangelist. I get paid to bring good news in some ways. And to become an evangelist, I actually, honestly, what I did is I changed my email footer title one day. I think I was a senior director of strategic marketing or something like that. But I changed that to global innovation evangelist and nobody has complained so far. Shh, don't tell anybody. And uh, my job involves working with organizations who are on the leading edge of innovation uh, to gather the lessons learned and then share that with others so that we can all be more successful. That's a brilliant lesson in just being whatever it is that you want to be rather than waiting for somebody to offer it to you. Fantastic. Very creative. And um, 
you know, the whole business about business analytics has never seemed so relevant as right now. I was listening to the radio this morning. They were talking about how they're going to use data and analytics to track the mental health of students. I mean, it's never been more important, has it, to to understand our data and to do important things with it? Data is behind everything. If you don't know where you are, how can you decide what's the best course of action? Uh, for me, better use of data is it's almost the closest thing to magic in the modern world because there are so many win-win-win opportunities where we can improve customer outcomes and cut costs, increase efficiency, use less of the world's resources and help make the world a better place. So what keeps me passionate about analytics really is working with customers. So for example, I get to be a judge for our SAP Innovation Awards and it's always incredibly inspiring to see what people have have done. Quick plug, go to sap.com slash innovation awards. Um, but it's the stories from our customers themselves and how they've been using this great technology to make a difference. Now, I heard you in a podcast recently saying that you get excited about boring things, <laughs> which is a, a lovely way of putting it, really. I think anyone who works in tech can really relate to that. How do you get uh, the customers excited about the boring things that is business analytics? As ever, always talking about real world examples. We can always talk about the technology, of course, and the technology is always advancing and allowing us to do new things. We can crunch bigger numbers. We can use things like machine learning to get insights in new ways. Um, but ultimately, I think what people are really interested in is the stories of people like themselves who have been able to achieve something using these technologies. And that's exactly my job is, I mean, let's face it, nobody wants to be the first to try something. Uh, change is difficult. Trying to get other people in your business to change and do things in new ways is difficult. So to the extent that you can learn lessons from other people who've already done that journey, already made mistakes so that uh, you can learn from those mistakes. Uh, again, that's what I find passionate about what I do. So there was one example that I saw you talking about, which was um, using employee sentiment to to predict something actually financial down the line. Can you talk? Can you talk about that? Do you know which example I'm referring to? Yeah. So this was I had the honor of talking to the CFO of a company called Kapura, uh, part of Wellington Hospitality Group um, in New Zealand, and I actually worked in New Zealand for a year, so we were able to swap some stories. It's a company that was started by two college friends. So this was the CFO that normally would care only about financial metrics, but he explained that one of the most successful leading indicators that he looked at were those uh, smiley face machines that I'm sure most of people have, will have seen in airports and places like that. The idea is, you know, you go through uh, the airport or you use the bathroom and you click on a button to say whether you were happy or unhappy. Well, it turned out that they use that for staff and they found that if staff clicked the, the happy button at the start of the shift, so they come in happy, and then they press the unhappy button at the end of the shift, this was a fairly clear sign that something was wrong. But more importantly, they found that customer sentiment would also go down a week or so later, and then profits and revenue would go down a week or so after that. So by tracking this employee sentiment, it turned out to be really important for financial forecasting. And, and I love this example because, again, it's about getting insights into the future, actionable information, but also thinking a little bit out of the box. Uh, for, you know, if you're a finance person, it doesn't mean you only have to look at financial metrics.
No, absolutely. But if you are a finance person, you're going to be really interested by some of the developments which are actually being rolled out now, like the invoice recognition. We've been talking about that with Business by Design. That's actually come on stream now. So um, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Well, so for finance in particular, uh, there's an incredible opportunity with the latest machine learning technologies. And this gets back to the, I get really excited about the boring stuff part because what machine learning works best with is complex, repetitive decisions. And it turns out that we have lots of those in finance. So for example, uh, things like invoice matching. I've talked to a whole bunch of customers now, and on average, only 70% of the invoices that they send out can be matched automatically with the money, the information about payments they get from their bank. So 30% of the time, a human being has to go in and figure out what's going wrong. There might be two invoices for one payment, two payments for one invoice, uh, and so on, or a currency exchange difference. And with machine learning that we're increasingly building into everything we do, including business by design, the idea is that the algorithm uh, learns the patterns. And we've seen the automatic matching rate go from 70% to 95% plus. And what's even more interesting is that it continues to improve. So the information, the system becomes self-learning in that every time there's an exception that the algorithm can't deal with, it gets kicked out to a person who fixes the problem. But that, that information goes back into the algorithm to do a better job next time around. So we have this notion of intelligent applications that are automatically getting better over time as people use them. And uh, so it's an amazing savings in terms of cost and, and time. But more importantly, the one thing that every financial organization I talk to wants to do is spend more time on strategy with their business decision makers. And this gives them just a new opportunity uh, to spend more time on what's important for the organization. And of course, things have been pretty upside down recently. We've all been through the mill over the last six months. Um, you have been doing talks about turning disruption into opportunity, which is a great title. What's the kind of thesis of that talk? Well, so clearly there's been a lot of disruption and, and business pain, but at a high level, it's important not to let a crisis go to waste. If you like, uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking to the head of value chain for a French retailer called uh, Decathlon. Decathlon. Uh, I know they're in the UK as well. And they've done a few uh, digital transformation projects over the last few years with SAP. And so they were better positioned with mo than most to deal with some of these changes. Um, for example, there's been a big shift to towards e-commerce, obviously, people spending less time in the stores and more buying online. But the big takeaway was that it hadn't actually changed their digital strategy. It had just massively accelerated it. And again, this is what we're seeing everywhere. Like financial departments have been trying to do more with less for a while, but now it's been a great opportunity spurred the greater use of uh, robotic process automation, for example, some great new uh, SAP tools in that area. So uh, the Vincent Dufremont, the, the person I was talking to, his big takeaway was nothing is impossible anymore. In other words, he and his team had been working on projects that they they knew were going to take years because that's the pace of change in business. But they're able to do it in months or weeks because it had to be done in months and weeks. So I think there's an opportunity for us to take some of that agility that we've been able to see 
uh, and learn from it and do more of it in the future. Organizations that can adapt faster than the competition really will reap the rewards. And I have to say, it's not just about business. The other thing that the gentleman in New Zealand uh, for Kapura talked about was he saw this as a once-in-a-lifetime career opportunity for him personally. The opportunity to lead an organization through change, to be a champion, to be an enabler, rather than just being somebody who's going to sit back and wait for things to go back to normal. Spoiler alert, unfortunately, they're not going to go back to normal. They will have a next normal that we're discovering together. But if you can be part of the team that's helping your organization create that new normal, uh, you are going to thrive in the future. So this is all part of why you believe then that we're coming into a golden age for SMEs, because I mean, I work a lot in the SME space, maybe Decathlon is is, is a much larger organization than one that maybe we would work with, although we would never say no to working with any size of organization. But what about the SME in particular? I suppose it's that ability to be agile is part of it, isn't it? Well, this is where technology is making a big difference for SME. Um, cloud in particular, for perhaps the first time in history, a, a 10 person companies say can now access exactly the same computing power as a company like GE or Unilever on demand at a reasonable price. So before, if you wanted to do something sophisticated like machine learning, for example, you would have to have your own servers and your own big IT team. Now that's just not true anymore. You can you can easily access that. So you no longer have to be a big company to have big ideas. And smaller organizations have lots of advantages over their bigger, clumsier competitors in some ways. They're much closer to their customers and customer needs. And in a world where customer centricity is now the number one differentiator. In fact, I'm really struck by the number of family-owned businesses that have been around for maybe several different generations that are really embracing digital transformation. And it's because they are in so close to their customers. And they've always thought about their business from a customer viewpoint, providing value to their customers. And they're seeing these new opportunities. So I've worked with like a 300-year-old brewery and a 200-year-old precision manufacturer of compressor machines. And, you know, they're really uh, embracing these new opportunities. They're also... The one big thing that we know about the future is that it's going to be different from whatever it is we expect today. And the big advantage that smaller organizations have is agility. Uh, there's just not as many people to, to, it's not like a huge tanker where you have to slowly turn it around. And agility in today's environment is incredibly important. So again, the technology is helping. Since you have the cloud, since you have these new solutions, you can adapt very quickly to new ways of uh, supplying your customers or billing your customers, for example. New business models are much easier than in the past. Market figures have been showing that small and medium-sized businesses have growing faster than larger companies for quite a while now. And this was going to accelerate in 2020. With the pandemic, there are 
clearly some small short-term pains for many small organizations who don't have the same resources to weather the storm as some of the larger companies. But I do think we'll see a massive surge of growth as we start to come out of this pandemic period because smaller organizations can ad- adapt faster if they put their mind to it. Yeah, we definitely need some some good news. And also to just encourage people to, um, to think forward and not to put their plans on hold and to, I don't know if you've seen this sort of cartoon about the wrecking ball of COVID and there's people inside um, uh, the office saying, uh, saying we, we, we don't need to do anything about digital transformation just yet. And the, and the COVID wrecking ball is, is coming towards them. Did, is that one of your cartoons? No, that's a great cartoon from uh, marketoonist.com. I thoroughly recommend them. And it's a great message also. So tell me about your cartoons then. How did you get into that? They're fantastic. Well, thank you. If, you, if people would like to see the cartoons, they can go to teamwithelliot.com slash blog slash cartoons. Um, it's just a hobby, and I wish I had more time to spend on them. I'm a big believer in editorial-style cartoons, where humor is used to make a serious point. Now, I'm not sure that mine make it past vaguely amusing, to be honest, but um, I'm, I am kind of proud if you do a Google search uh, on innovation cartoons or analytics cartoons, then I'm the number one worldwide. And the cartoons themselves have made them their way into so many interesting places. So I, d- I don't charge for them. People can use them. But I ask people to let me know what they're doing with them. And they've turned up in conference presentations and books and university courses, the uh, internal blog at the World Bank and many other cool places. I mean, the brilliant thing about them is that they really sort of cut to the chase and they allow you to say things that maybe you wouldn't normally say if you were delivering a a, a very slick talk. I mean, for example, there's one that says making strategic decisions with data. I've decided to ignore the bad news. I mean, that just sort of tells you what you need to know about the ridiculous side of of what we do. And a lot of what you uh, talk about is marketing. And I often see the ridiculous side of marketing. Well, so my favorite cartoons are definitely the ones that are very cynical, (laughs) that poke fun at, you know, the communication problems between business and IT and over-promising from vendors or poking fun at marketing people uh, (laughs) like me. And it gets back to that cartoon in particular is about a very deep truth, ultimately, that every organization wrestles with, that the very best technology and the data in the world is completely useless unless somebody actually does something with it. And that's about people and culture and organization and incentives, not technology. So I often emphasize that we should be spending as much time on all of that as we do on technology. I sometimes say that the most important technology by far in your organization is people. But we don't tend to think of people as a technology, but they are. Every time they touch data, they're adding value. They're an essential part of your cognitive system, if you like. So I encourage IT people to think of people, of their users, not as external to the information system, but a fundamental part of it that should be optimized through training and uh, culture and the right incentives and so on, the right tuning, if you like. Again, analytics is incredibly powerful. 
people, analytics plus people is absolutely unbeatable. That's your unique selling point, isn't it? That you put people back into the equation. So you're an evangelist for this incredible tech, which you know some people might even struggle to understand. And then you put people right into that equation and, and get us to understand how we can use it and, and give us loads of real life examples. That's why you're great. <laughs> Why, thank you. But it, I mean, it's also uh, it, the reason because SAP is we mostly provide the software and the software can only take you so far. It's great software, but uh, it takes other organizations like yourselves with expertise in particular areas to add to that technology, provide the expertise and the guidance for organizations to get the most out of it. So one last question then, because we're coming towards the end. Uh, I've not given you a heads up on this, but this one should be easy for you. What's what's the most exciting thing that's coming down the line that we don't know about yet? Well, there's one big picture thing that I've been puzzling about recently. So you take uh, three technology trends. So one is the increasing power of artificial intelligence. We've talked a lot about that in the industry already. The second is an area that my wife actually works in where increasingly we can start using um, genetics to re-engineer biology in a way that just wasn't possible before. Then you add the new interfaces between man and machine, like the Neuralink uh, startup from Elon Musk. You bring all of those together, and at one level, you can start thinking about we'll start questioning what it even is to be human. Uh, almost by definition, we'll be changing the way we can potentially think about the world. So what is the impact of that going forward? Mind-blowing. My mind is blown. I was just thinking about my daughter who's planning to study philosophy at university. And that, that really does take us into those kind of like mind-bending areas, doesn't it? It, it does. I mean, it, that's not going to happen for a while. <laughs> okay. We have we have plenty of time to get just those good old boring business benefits out of, you know, everyday machine learning that crunches their financial numbers for us. So we've got plenty of work on our plate just doing that. But again, I, we say just doing that and it's boring stuff. But if we can improve every business process by 10 to 15%, Wow. I mean, that's an incredible advance for, uh, for humanity as a whole. So carry on getting excited about boring things, please. We need you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Timo. It was really good of you to join us. Well, thank you. It's been a great pleasure. That's it for this episode of The Growth Business. See you next time. <laughs>